This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Is Igris Moshe Yeridea Chelek Al Simon Reishu Dalad, and it's titled Betevel Shalacherim Shemutar Lechol Mitzat Bikoch Nefesh Imiachol Lafrit Shumas Amaisros. Let's put some background to that. The uh, Gemara in Yuma Pe Gimel says that if somebody is deathly ill, um, then you can feed them anything. However, you should feed them Hakal Hakal. You should feed them uh, things in. Right, you should you're, you should first choose to feed them things that are less usur. Among the examples of Isurim that it gives and ways you should choose among them are Tevel, meaning grain from which Truma has not yet been taken, and Truma itself, and there's a Machloket Amarayim, as to whether you prefer to feed them Tevel or you prefer to feed them Truma. But that implies that there is a case where you feed somebody Tevel, which is a little bit odd, because if, um, if Tevel is in fact worse than Truma, which is right one of the possibilities, um, one of the possibilities, then why don't you just take the truma? So suppose you need all of it. Um, so the suggestion that the Chassam uh, Sofer made via the Chacham Tzvi is that you can still take the truma de Oraisa and then be mevatel it. Even tell me, okay, it's forbidden to be mevatel isur l'chatchila. You, um, you, know, you can't uh, take something that's usur and deliberately um, add it to a pile, make it bottle, and then have the whole have a greater amount, having to, thereby transforming the isurim to heter. Okay, but that's not as bad as the other um, as the other isurim here. Okay, so um, we could answer it by saying that um, maybe the tevel that you're feeding the person isn't yours, and therefore you're not you're not authorized to take truma from it. So the solution of Kantrovitz, I believe, came up with. I should tell you that you know that it's, in all these cases we only have Rechemusha's letter, not Rabbi Kantrovitz's letter. Um, so there's a lot of reconstruction necessary, but I think that my analysis will be correct regardless of whether I get every stage, who said what at every stage correct. Um, so I think Rabbi Kantrovitz's answer was, let's say that um, even if it belongs to somebody else, the Chassam Sofer still has a real question because it's also permitted to um, to steal. So since you since the whoever is feeding or eating this um, this tevil is doing so legitimately even though it belongs to somebody else so that makes it theirs and if it's theirs now they can take truma and uh, and maestros again so Rav Moshe's response to Rabbi Kantrovitz is no um, when you steal for the sake of pikoch nefesh that, what that does is it takes away the isur element of theft but it doesn't actually change the ownership. Just because you're entitled to use it doesn't make it yours. That's an you know, interesting claim in terms of how Kinyanim uh, work. But Rav Moshe uh, says just the fact that you have legitimate uh, legitimate use of it regardless of the owner's desires does not make you the owner, and therefore you cannot um, take truma from it. Um, so in the end, Rechantrovitz's basically answer is going to be that somehow we're going to be dealing with a case in which the actual owner... Uh, made you a shliach to take the uh, take truma from it. I, again, I don't have a controversy. Shuv, I don't know how he makes this a uh, realistic okimta. I can think of things, but it's just speculation. Okay, but what's really interesting then to Rav Moshe, or for our purposes, is that Rav Kantrovitz then says, "But you know what? There's one rishon according to whom we don't have to come up with this answer, 
because there's one reason according to whom you are not allowed to eat the food if it is not yours, if it, if it would be theft, because theft is not permitted even for pikuach nefesh, and that Rishon, says Rabbi Kantrovitz, is Rashi. To which Rav Moshe responds, that is utterly impossible. There's no way you could say that, and he says uh, um, that this is a uh, this is mashalonitam leheamer. Right? This is saying in Rashi something which simply cannot be said. Okay, so now let's play it. Right? How how unreasonable is Rabbi Kantrovitz's claim in Rashi such that Moshe is entitled to uh, or feels compelled to say this? So the fundamental Rabbi admits v'divir Rashi b'vakama daf samach tzarichimiyun. Rashi says something like this on Bavakama Daf Samach. In fact, he says, You're not allowed to, uh, right? It's Asr, it's still forbidden to um, to save yourself by taking someone else's money. Uh, so Rav Moshe says, if you look at the sugi in which that appears, it's dealing with uh, a pasuk that appears with variations in Shmuel and Divrayamim. Uh, the outcome of which the Gemara seems to t- see is that David HaMelech. Um, Save, uh, saves himself from a group of Plishti bandits without destroying the Jewish-owned barley in the field where they were hiding. Um, and that's about which Rashi says, why didn't he do that? Because So Rav Moshe says, well, let's try and figure out the case there. The case um, the, the case of the Gemara is preceded by a, uh, where David sent, uh, you know, a narrative in which David Melech sends a Shaila. Am I allowed to destroy this field or not? And the answer they get is he gets is you would not be allowed to destroy this field if you were um, if you were not king, but you are king, and kings have powers of uh, expropriation that don't apply to everybody else. Okay. So Rav Moshe's argument is as follows: What entitles David to take whatever risk is added by not burning down the field? Um, he argues it's off our issue that although there are circumstances where you're allowed to be machmer on yourself and not violate Nisr for um, for the sake of Pikoch Nefesh, that's only in cases where there is um, projecting, where there is a Kiddush Hashem involved because somebody is trying to make you violate it. But in cases where it's just, uh, by the way, um, it just happens that you have to violate the Zisser in order to save your life. Rav Moshe says that's completely forbidden. So what entitles David, who l'chol hadeos, David is permitted to uh, burn down the field because of the powers of the king, what entitles him to take this risk to himself or his men? Um, so the answer, Rav Moshe says, is that if what David must, it must not really be a case of pikuach nefesh. So David is acting um, in a way which is, you know, in one of these gray areas, but He's not taking the kind of additional risk that would make it usher, that would be usher for him, because if it's really pikuach nefesh, then he would not be, he would be required to burn down the field. So now Rav Moshe says, well, once you understand that David is engaging in Amidas Chasidus, which means that we must be talking about a circumstance that is not really pikuach nefesh, so the entire conversation in, this, in the uh, sugya, the entire context of the sugya, is not one of real pikuach nefesh, and therefore all the positions that say, asur mamon chavero, in the context of that sugya, are really talking about cases which aren't real pikuach nefesh, but everyone says Rav Moshe, and of course Rashi among them would agree that in a case of real pikuach nefesh, um, you are not only allowed but required uh, to steal to save life. Let's assume that Rav Moshe's argument is sufficient to establish that you can take his position that nobody says it's forbidden to steal to save a life. But 
that's a far cry from proving that a Reconchovitz's contrary position in Rashi is impossible. How does Rav Moshe know that nobody could say this, that, you're, that it's forbidden to steal to save a life? So Rav Moshe has two arguments. One of them is a pure uh, reason-type argument, and the other is more textually based. So let's take them in order. The reason-based argument is as follows. The Gemara in various places, Yuma, Psachim, Sanhedrin, asks, how do we know that you're not allowed to kill somebody else to save your own life? And the response is some version of a svara, my chaz is a dami dachsum How do you know that your blood is redder than the other person's? It's, uh, right? Other shirim have talked about the many ways to understand that, but a simple level we could just say that this, the reason you can't kill somebody else to save your own life is this logical presumption you can't know uh, which life is worth more or which God loves more or anything, something like that. So Ramosha says the uh, says the following. That implies, and he says Tosus draws this more explicitly, that if we didn't have that svara, then in fact it would be permitted, and he seems to think obligated to kill somebody else to save your own life. So now Rav Moshe says, if it were um, really true that you are not allowed to steal to save your own life, then how could we possibly think that the baseline halacha is that you are allowed to kill to save your own life, such that we need this svara to counteract it? It doesn't make sense to say that you'd be allowed to take someone's life if you're not allowed to take their uh, their stuff. That would be amono chaviv migufa, that someone else's money is worth more than their life. Uh, therefore, the fact that the Gemara needs a svara uh, to permit taking someone's life um, tells you that it must be obvious that you are allowed to take someone else's money to save your own life. So, to understand, to you know, to deal with this argument of Moshe, we'll have to figure out is that really true? Is that a kavachomer that um, that um, any time you're allowed to kill somebody, um, you uh, you must be allowed to take their stuff. Rav Moshe's other argument is that uh, the Gemara in Ksubos, um quotes a position, Pegimel quotes a position of a mayor, that if witnesses agree, agree that they signed a particular um, financial star, but then say, but the document is still false, and I only signed it because my life was threatened if I didn't sign it, uh, Rameyer says you don't believe the witnesses recanting, you don't believe that they, that um, the document is false, because ain't Adam may see Masmo Russia, or at least that's the, our Havmin at this point, because people don't declare them right are not believed when they claim that they have committed and that they are wicked people, meaning that when they have they've committed a particular uh, kind of wicked act. Um, so what's the wicked act here? Um, they signed the document. Now why shouldn't they have signed the document? So. Rav Chista says, Rav Meir must hold, Edim sh'amru lahem chismu sheker ve'al tergu, yehergu v'al yechasmu sheker. Rav Chista says, Rav Meir must hold that um, witnesses are supposed to give up their life rather than sign. Rav responds to Rav Chista and says, hang on a sec. If the Edim came to us and said, should we sign or not, we would tell them, sign. It's pikoach nefesh. So how can we now say that by admitting that they signed, they're calling themselves Rishayim, when we would have told them to sign. So the answer, Rav Meir's um, mission must be based on a different sort of logic. So Rav Moshe says, this proves that the, um, that, and the, 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 the exact language of the Gemara, right, is, is Rav, um, Rav says, right? The way nothing stands in, in the way in the way of pikoch nefesh, meaning you're supposed to save your life except for those big three. Um, so therefore, Rebbe must right. Rebbe obviously includes theft in that regard, 
and he rejects the idea that anybody ever held that you are um, forbidden to save your life at the expense of any other Isser. Uh, so obviously that includes uh, theft as well. Okay, but Rabbi Kantra is considered of Moshe. I agree that you're right according to Rava, but Rav Chista said that Rav Meir said that uh, the Adim should in fact be um, give up their lives rather than sign falsely. And if you go into it, you'll see that the um, Rishonim learn, some Rishonim learn it, that what Rav Chista is claiming is not that they're actually obligated to give up their life, but that there's a Midas Hasidus, that they should um, give up their life in such circumstances. And violation of Midas Hasidus is enough to, as enough, makes you enough of a Russia that if you later, if, that when you claim you violated Midas Hasidus, we don't believe you. Whereas um, Rebbe says, you can't say that somebody's a Russia um, when they did what we would have told them to do, which you can read either as saying, you can't say they're Russia because they didn't do a Midas Hasidus, or you can't claim it's a Midas Hasidus here uh, when we would have pasked not just that you're allowed to, but that you're required to uh, sign the document rather than um, get killed. Okay, for Rav Moshe, but Rav Kantrovitz can respond, but there are Rishonim who take Rav Chisa's position literally. And not only that, those Rishonim uh, seem to be backed up by Tosefta, in which Rav Meir says explicitly, right, that it's not just the big three, there's even a fourth one. So to claim that the Gemara doesn't, right, the, neither side of the Gemara can go with that Tosefta is a very odd position. Um, moreover, uh, what Rakantras might point out to Rav Moshe is that the even the, the positions which say that uh, there is a Midas Chasidus not to sign the document, they're not grounding themselves on a moral claim um, that it's worse, that it's um, terrible to take money to save a life. They're grounding themselves on a kind of honor or aesthetic claim, right? Some of them might be an honor claim that a person's, right? It's not that I'm taking the other person's money by signing a star falsely. It's that I'm dishonoring my word um, to do that. And that either violates your honor or it, it's yucky the way some Rishonim seem to frame it. Uh, either way, that sort of undercuts Rav Moshe's uh, claim um, from the, the, uh, the, the requirement of a sword to kill, because you can imagine an aesthetic, uh, it's not hard to imagine it in uh, pride shame cultures, in which um, killing someone else to save your life is a reasonable thing, but giving up, but uh, swearing falsely uh, or giving false testimony is a much more serious thing. And stealing might by the same logic, right? That's why um, either a mayor says Afal he agrees to be Nefesh, but if we're dealing in a pre uh, a pre Maychazi Savara world, you can think, think uh, see people who would somehow feel more dishonored by taking money to save their life uh, than by killing someone else to save their life. Um, and at the end of the day, um, there's at least one famous Achron. I think there are right there are many many Achronim who agrees with the right contrary, basically, if you look at any discussion of the question of whether Mutar or Asur shel Chavero, so while there are people like Rav Moshe who try and claim that all the Machlokas in the Gemara about this issue, all the statements must or must only be about whether you have to pay compensation, um, but um, most analyses say, yeah, but there's this Rashi. So Rikantris is reading the Rashi, I would say, is more standard than Rav Moshe's, although Rav Moshe's uh, horror edit is not unprecedented. And uh, most famously, not just saying that it's Pshat and Rashi, but the Binyan Sion, in his argument uh, about autopsies, the Binyan Sion says that 
that autopsies to save a life are forbidden because we hold and so um, using someone else's body to save your life, even though they're already dead, uh, is obviously usher. And that says therefore that autopsies are only permitted if you have um, if you have consent. But without consent, they're forbidden. So he really poskins like that position, Rashi. So here, our third episode again, Rav Moshe says that Rav Kantrowitz is claiming something that can't be said um, at all, even in Rashi. It seems like uh, most people, from my reading, most people agree with the Kantrovist that that is what Rashi said, and at least one famous Ahron said, not only is that what Rashi said, but it's even the way we Paskin. Uh, so in the context of dialogues between Rav Moshe and Rav Kantrovist, uh in Europe, it seems to me that the phrase Lonitanle Amer Klal has to be understood as uh, some kind of rhetorical hyperbole, and not as really assigning a class of uh, a class of positions that um, are really just beyond the pale entirely in some kind of unusual way. On the other hand, this Shiva is, um, is you, know, you could see it as a claim of moral outrage and is establishing a position that Pikuach Nefesh really overrides everything else. And so as we go on to the remaining Shiva uh, uh, later in Rav Moshe's life, uh, we'll see, maybe the, uh, maybe the use of the phrase um, develops over time. All right, let's see you at the next episode. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.